We're continuing our Advent series uh, titled Gifts in the Waiting. And it's titled this uh, because in many ways these passages of scripture uh, serve both as a window and a mirror, if you will. A window in that when we read them, we get to look into the life of another person and how they were experiencing the Lord in their life and what God did in, in their lives. And a mirror, uh, because God is at work in the world and all of us live under the larger story of Jesus. And God's greater purposes are at work in our lives too. The Lord is at work in our lives. So we can see something of ourselves maybe in, in these stories. So in this series, we're looking at uh, the gifts the characters in the story received how we might receive those same gifts and how we might also share those gifts with others in the name of Jesus. And today, of course, we heard of the experience of Mary and we're considering the gifts of favor and a blessing. It's another announcement of an unexpected child, right? We, we had one last week when the angel Gabriel met Zechariah in the temple and announced that he and his elderly wife Elizabeth would have a baby to everyone's surprise who would be uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptizer actually, important to note for those of us maybe newer to the conversation, he wasn't a Baptist denominationally. <laughs> he, he was called that because he baptized people. He, that was part of his message. So John the Baptizer is probably a more accurate translation. Uh, it was about six months after that appearance and an angel appeared to Mary, the story we just heard. And it was the angel Gabriel again. We didn't get into this last week, but this was no low-level angel servant, right? This is an archangel. This is a big angel. Uh, if you reread the book of Daniel, this is the same angel that came in answer to Daniel's prayer and when he finally met with Daniel, Gabriel explained why he had taken so long because he had to, had to battle his way through the prince of Persia to make it to Daniel. I can't claim to understand what all that means, but Gabriel is quite significant. And think of the differences in the two birth announcements. Gabriel came to Zechariah, you know, a priest serving in the temple during a public worship service in Jerusalem, you know, kind of where you might expect an angel to show up. But Gabriel came also to Mary, a 12 to 14 year old girl. She was in that range somewhere, living out in the sticks, Galilee, in the most notorious town in her region, Nazareth. And yes, Nazareth had a rep. Nazareth was a, quote, shoddy, corrupt halfway stop between the port cities of Tyre and Sidon. It was overrun with Gentiles and Roman soldiers, so to a faithful Jewish person, that made it most unappealing. It was seen by Jewish people as the dive bar of Galilee. If you didn't have to live there, you wouldn't. Remember the soon-to-be apostle Nathaniel's reaction to Nazareth? Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of there? 
I mean, the, the, the sentiment was common. And yet God sent an archangel to the dive bar of Galilee. See, God's announcement to Zechariah was, was staged, I believe, to reveal to Jewish people that God was about to fulfill his promises of salvation through the Messiah. All the, all the, all the aspects of the staging were right. Jerusalem, temple, priest, all that whole public worship all made sense, right? And God's announcement to Mary was staged to reveal that the Messiah would be radically different than anyone expected. I mean, the tone and, and setting of the announcement to Mary matches the content and character of the ministry of Jesus. Completely different than anyone expected. Namely, God comes to us where we are. We don't have to find our way to God. You know, as opposed to every religious claim in the rest of the world, God comes to us wherever we are, even in the dive bars of our lives. God comes to us no matter who we are. Right? I mean, from a, from a strictly human perspective, Mary represented the least likely human on the planet for a visit from an archangel, an adolescent female in a patriarchal culture living in the worst town in the most backwater region of her country. By all human understanding, she was a nobody living nowhere who amounted to nothing. And yet, God sent his first lieutenant to that person in that place. So with that, we can begin to understand Mary's response. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. See, with, with Zechariah, the angel began with the whole, you know, don't be afraid line, which is the common starting point because whenever we come into contact with a messenger of the Lord, we freak out and think this whole, whoa, this whole thing is real. Yep, it's real. And so the angel has to reassure us, hey, don't be afraid. You're not going to die right on the spot here. But with this announcement, before the don't be afraid line, there's a greeting. Let's not miss the power of an archangel greeting a young teenage girl. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The word in the original language translated as highly favored means that Mary was the recipient of God's favor. She was the special object of God's favor, kind of like God's special choice. And at this, Mary was greatly troubled, highly favored and greatly troubled all at the same time. The word in the original language uh, for that, greatly troubled, meant that Mary was perplexed by the angel's claim that she was favored. That the word 
uh, uh, reflects kind of an intense curiosity while being deeply concerned at the same time. Like, what? How can that be? What? Mary wasn't stuck on the fact that there was an angel standing in front of her. She was stuck on what the angel said. She was stuck on the fact that the angel claimed she was favored by God, highly favored by God. And she wondered what those words might mean. I mean, think of it. The contradiction to her must have been uh, both glaring and confusing. Mary's thinking, "I'm, I'm a nobody living in a nothing town in the backwoods of Kentucky. And what, what in the world do you mean that I'm, I'm highly favored? How could I possibly be favored by God? My life sure doesn't look like I'm favored by God. My life sure doesn't feel like I'm favored by God. And, and beyond that, even if it's true, why would God ever pick me as the special object of his favor? I mean... There are people way more qualified for that than than me. Nothing against Kentucky, by the way. (laughs) Though Mary didn't say anything, the angel at least read her nonverbals. At least that's what I could imagine happening. And said, don't be afraid. Uh, but, but unlike other claims in scripture, this one is grammatically arranged in such a way. It's not just meant to be a comfort. It's meant to be a command. Stop fearing. Stop fearing now. And then the rationale for that command. You have found favor with God. So the word favor in the original language is charis more often than not translated as grace rather than favor. Charis means grace, the state of kindness and favor towards someone, often with a focus on a benefit given to the object or to the other. You know, favor refers to God's gracious choosing of someone. It's not earned or deserved, it's just freely given. Don't be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. The verb found means to discover or to meet. You've found favor with God. You've discovered favor. You've met grace. Therefore, fear doesn't make sense anymore. You have favor from the Almighty. See, Mary received this favor as a gift. And, and this is the, the mirror part, right? Because Mary is us. God's favor is available to all of us in Jesus. I mean, she's a picture of all who receive God's grace by trusting Christ. And fast forward in Luke's gospel to chapter two, to Christmas day, in fact, to the shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem, an angel appeared to announce the birth of Jesus. And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. 
the favor of God, the grace of God, came to us in Jesus, is available to us in Jesus. After I came uh, to faith in Christ as a senior in college, I had several spiritual conversations with my best friend from high school. And I was, I was home uh, over the Christmas holidays and was at his house and we were talking and, and he, w- he was honestly exploring. Like he was reading some stuff in the Bible and we would, we would talk about it. And one Christmas break, I'll never forget, he, he pointed to this, this passage. Uh, the, well, sorry, the passage that was just on the screen. Um, and and he, he pointed out that phrase, on whom his favor rests, right, right at the end there. And, and my friend was troubled by this, thinking it might mean that God's favor rests on some people but, but not others. And his concern there was, of course, that if that were true, it would mean that God loves some people but not all people, that God sent Jesus for some people but not all people. And in my in my you know, I don't know, first or second year of faith in Jesus, I had a very unnuanced answer, which was, no, 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 Jesus, it's for everybody. Favor's for everybody. everybody. That, that is true, and there's a part two. It's a two-part answer, really. First, yeah, Jesus came for everyone, all people everywhere. Look at John's gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In John's gospel, that that word used for world, cosmos, uh, refers not only to the creation, everything that is, but also to a worldly system and people who are actively opposed to God. So read that verse with that understanding. Substitute for world, like system and people who are actively opposed to God, and it comes out something like this. God so loved all of creation, including the people who are opposed to him, that he gave his one and only son, not to condemn all of creation, including the people who are opposed to him, but to save all of creation, including the people who are opposed to him. I mean, Jesus came for everybody. But his favor can only rest on those who receive it. It has to be received, right? It's extended but for it to rest upon you, you actually have to receive it. I mean, he came for everyone, but he won't make you do anything. The invitation of Jesus stands open to us today. Here's how he put it. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Meaning, the time of God's favor is now. The time has come. The the kingdom of God is near, literally at hand. It's close, not close like the other side of town, not close like the other side of the parking lot, close like at arm's length, right here to every human being everywhere. The kingdom of God has come near. So repent, meaning literally change your thinking. Change your thinking about what's going on in this world, about what your life is, about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Change your thinking from however you've been thinking to the way Jesus described things. That's repentance. And believe, that's an action word, not just giving assent to spiritual truths in your head. It's, it's you know, change 
the change in thinking brings a change in life. That's the believing part. Because if you really trust, you'll align your life to the change of thinking. So Mary received favor from God. God's favor is available to us in Jesus. This is the favor part, right? The grace part. Then there's the blessing part. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored? Here's the favor word again. That the mother of my Lord should come to me. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. Mary went to visit Elizabeth and upon arriving, greeted her. First words out of Elizabeth's mouth, blessed are you. To be blessed is to receive special favor from God. That's the definition of it, right? This is not rocket science. God's favor is offered. God's favor needs to be received. And when God's favor is received, the receiver is blessed by having received God's favor. It's really that simple. Said Elizabeth under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. But, but believing means much more than agreeing with stuff in your, in your head, like I just said. It means trusting, specifically trusting that the Lord Jesus will do what he said. Here's what he said. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I take him to be naming there the single qualification needed for coming to Christ, which is the willingness to acknowledge our need. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Don't read that wrong. That's not bashing other religions. It's just saying that every human attempt to reach up to God won't work. We can't bridge the gap. And Jesus claimed to be the one, the single one, who came from God to us to bridge the gap. See, believing means trusting Jesus, trusting in the truth of the gospel. That word literally means good news. Here's the good news summary from Romans chapter three. But now, apart from the law, it's the 10 commandments and all the law given to Moses, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. They point that way. This righteousness is given given from God to us through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. No difference between Jew and Gentile. Just remember 
That, that means everybody in the whole world because you were either Jewish or Gentile. No difference between anybody anywhere, between any human being anywhere, no matter how tall you are or short, short you are, and you, you can do the list, no matter the color of your skin, the nation from which you came, the circumstances into which you were born, what your net worth is now, whether you're the president of a country or a pauper, right? The Bible claims there is no difference between human beings and that everybody everywhere needs this. To be received by faith, meaning trust. It means trust. Now, I, for those of you more familiar with my story, I, I had this completely baffling experience with a Christian friend of mine in college. This was really before I was very much interested in, in even exploring the faith. And my friend Chuck, who's a dear brother, and we've talked since this time, he, Chuck came to my room. He was uh, part of a campus uh, Christian organization. Uh, and he came, he came at me f- with the full force evangelism routine. We, we should all do the work of evangelists. I'm not talking against evangelism. Probably our, our greatest growing edge as a congregation, I would say. But he had the booklet and he gave me the spiel. And he was using words like, you need to give your, give your heart to Jesus. And I remember thinking, I remember sitting there listening to this thinking, I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. I kind of like my heart. I want to keep it. Uh, and then he talked, talked about becoming a Christian. I'm like, well, what, what does that actually mean? You know, uh, what does that mean? So here's what it means. This, is a, this was a super helpful explanation for me. So these are two basic, these chairs represent two basic approaches to life. Right, this is the me chair, the I chair, and that chair represents everything that Jesus has done for me on the cross. So, I know this is true for me, for the first 22 years of my life, my trust was placed solidly in this chair. I did pretty well in school. I got by okay. I, oh, interesting fact about me. I was voted as having the best personality in my high school senior class. <laughs> I won the junior bake-off too, just for what's worth. <laughs> so I had it going on. But you, you get it, right? We sometimes enjoy some success in life or things seem to be going okay. And this chair feels pretty good. What, what giving your heart to Jesus means, what becoming a Christian means, is getting up out of this chair. Transferring your trust from whatever your list is, and it's probably better than the junior bake-off, to the chair of Jesus, right? And this is a critical thing. I I can move into a season of my life where I'm doubting whether this chair can actually hold me. I can kind of get up from that 
and be in the middle somewhere, I can think that this chair looks pretty good. I can know a lot of stuff about this chair. I can believe with all of my heart that that chair would hold me if I were to sit down on it. But the problem is, I'm not sitting on it yet. That's what biblical faith is. It's this internal transfer of trust where you rest your whole self. And you got to rest yourself. Like if the chair breaks, I'm going down. That's what trust is. It's not this. It, it's you put your weight down. Right? And I know that many of you in this room have experienced that. And I imagine that some of you haven't. This is the most important thing. It's the, it's, it's, this is everything that we're doing here as a congregation. Right? Yeah, we want to support each other. Yeah, we want to be a loving community and family together. We should. I hope we're growing in that way. Pastor Brian will talk more about that in community group seminar over here about how get, get you know, huddle up, get together, support each other. Yeah, yes, we do good things in the community. We should. But it's all for not. If we're not calling individuals to sit down in this chair and we're actually seeing people make the move, right? The chair of trusting in Christ. See, Mary was blessed by, by believing. And that's true for all of us. We're blessed when we come to trust Jesus. And, and, and we receive what the apostle Paul struggled to name. He called it the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, transcends all understanding an unshakable peace that supersedes our circumstances and is bigger than our biggest problem, right? And all the blessings uh, that, that, that come from trusting, from putting your whole weight down in that chair, a, a deep experience of real forgiveness for all the junk in your life you know is wrong. A, a, a profound experience of getting more than just your past wrongs washed away, but receiving the gift of Christ's perfect righteousness or in every person talk, receiving the perfectly validating performance record of Jesus as your very own. He paid the debt, we get his credit report. I mean, whatever metaphor you want to use, right? The perfect resume of Jesus applied to us. You get a fresh start get adopted into a spiritual family. You no longer have to search for your identity. You are confirmed in your identity by God, secure in Christ. Understanding and wisdom for the living of life, it's hard. Help in every situation through the Holy Spirit who walks with us, always guides us, helps us remember the things that Jesus said. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. But we're, we're blessed when we trust. We're blessed in believing God will do for us what he said he will do. Mary received favor and blessing from God. She's a model of trusting faith. Mary doesn't bestow grace. We don't believe that. But she does show us how to respond to it. And she's a great example of that. 
If you don't know him yet, Jesus is waiting to meet you in the backwater dive bar of your life. The gospel is very simply this. You are much worse than you could ever imagine. And more loved than you could ever dream. That's the good news. So, stop saying no to Jesus. Start saying yes to Jesus. Not tomorrow, not in 10 years. Today, now, now. Mary captures the blessing of trusting God in in what she said and what we heard sung. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. That's a posture of blessing, isn't it? It's a great place to live. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you that you are so good to us, that you, you pursued us long before we wanted to have anything to do with you. You've had our names on the sticky note on your bathroom mirror for millennia. Thank you that you are good to us, that you pour out blessing and favor upon us. You extend that to us. God, if there be any way in any of us here that we're trying to resist that, um, for whatever reason, I I pray that you'd break down the, the arguments those reasons are making in our minds and empower us to turn to you. Help us. We know it's the only way any of us ever turn to you is if you empower us and help us. I I pray that you would do that now in all of us. Help us turn to you. Help us pursue you. And if there's a big hurdle, kind of a first jump that someone here is facing, God, I pray that you would pour out your spirit in a special way. And that you would empower them to set down whatever it is, to release the need to understand it all before taking a step and to turn toward you. We love you, Lord Jesus. We ask these things in your name. Amen.